Hello and welcome to the 905er podcast. I'm Roland Tanner. I am Joel McLeod. A recurring theme that we've encountered since the 905er began a year ago is the question of who runs our cities. Who gets to decide what makes sense for a municipality and when, if ever, should the province get to overrule the democratically expressed desires of a local population? This question has come to the forefront in Hamilton in recent months with the debate over whether Hamilton should expand its urban boundary to allow development on farmlands, or whether the city should continue to concentrate on intensification and increased density within its current boundaries. In recent days, it's been announced that Hamilton Council will vote on this question on November the 9th, making it a crucial moment for deciding the nature of Hamilton's urban future for the next several decades. Simultaneously, Minister of Municipal Affairs Steve Clark has waded deep into the debate with an op-ed in the Hamilton Spectator, in essence stating that keeping Hamilton's urban boundary unchanged is not an option. To discuss this question, we are joined today by Nancy Hurst of Stop Sprawl Hamont, a grassroots coalition of citizens founded by Nancy, Michelle, Tom and others to fight against the loss of 3,300 acres of farmland and make the case against increased sprawl and car-centric development. The campaign has gathered over 5,000 supporters and peppered the city with anti-sprawl lawn signs. Meanwhile, the city's own citizen survey attracted 18,000 respondents, with a seemingly overwhelming 90% anti-sprawl consensus. Okay, so uh, welcome Nancy Hurst to the 905 podcast. I thought we'd just kick off um, with, or well, just by asking you uh, to give us some of the background of Stop Sprawl Hammond and, uh, uh, and what your story is and obviously what, what, what you're trying to do right now. Sure. Thanks so much for having me, Roland. I appreciate being here. Well, it started actually not that long ago. This is a pretty new movement. And um, I guess I could trace it back to December of last year when I watched Environment Hamilton's uh, Don't Let Sprawl Take It All webinar, which was hosted by Linda Lukasik. Um, at that point, she was trying to raise the alarm bells in Hamilton that the city was um, about to undertake a massive boundary expansion and they were asking for um, outreach. Um, they were outreaching to the citizens and uh, asking for comments on whether we wanted to sprawl max or sprawl supermax. And a lot of the comments um, in the chat that day were what happened to the no boundary expansion option and that wasn't an option. Uh, so I wrote to city planning staff shortly after that and asked why well, like that night, <laughs> and asked, why is there no boundary expansion option being uh, put forward? And the answer was that the Ford government has changed the planning laws for uh, the entire province. So the Places to Grow Act was amended to require a market-based lens mm -hmm. and a um, an increased timeline of an additional 10 years. So it looked like a big land grab was about to occur. Uh, so I got together with a few friends and we decided to do our very best to stop this um, boundary expansion from happening and at the very least um, inform Hamiltonians about what was happening because the city had done some initial public outreach and only reached 150 people in the entire city and we thought we could do a lot better than that and we have. What, what has been the response uh, to your organization from Hamiltonians in general? Oh, you know, it's literally fantastic. Um, across all parts of this city, 
we can say that uh, we have support from all political stripes, the lower part of the city, the upper part of the city, and everybody really can unite against a, a single um, rallying cry, which is to save our farmland, don't spend the tax dollars on sprawling subdivisions, invest those tax dollars in our existing city and in the neighborhoods in Hamilton that need the investment, which is frankly all of us. And I was just saying before we came on, um, you know, if anybody coming to Hamilton right now and driving around the suburbs and the not so suburbs will will, will, will see your signs everywhere on on the on the lawns, and uh, yeah, it's 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 very noticeable. Um, and so I love seeing those signs too. <laughs> we delivered a lot of them. There are sixteen hundred signs from the upper to the lower city, and it's even in the rural areas. And a lot of people, Roland and, and Joel, think that. Um, the rural folks are not interested because they might want to sell up. Uh-uh. We have, we've had to set up depots um, on the Hamilton Mountain in the rural areas because we can't keep up with running signs out there. So we've got a few <laughs> people who are living in farming areas who we've delivered 50 signs. And then when they're gone, they call us up, bring some more. So drive around rural Hamilton. You'll see a lot of them up there too. Do you have a lot of it's people... I just I'm just gonna ask like look have you heard, heard a lot of opposition to your group you know a lot of people saying no no we need to keep pushing we need we need to build more subdivisions and and develop that those those spaces and kind of we need to we need to max out as much space as we have in Hamilton and then we can worry about building up like do you, do you hear that opposite like the opposite argument being brought up a lot or, um, or a lot going? absolutely not <clears throat> people citizens have overwhelmingly through the city survey, which was what 18,000 people responded and 16,000 people voted for no expansion. Um, but my own experience is, you know, I, I'm one of the leaders of this movement. So I've knocked on umpteen doors, talking to people all across the city, really from all across the mountain in the lower city um, and in the rural areas, driving up farmers' driveways asking, did you hear about the survey? This is when people still didn't know that the survey was out. And um, we were trying to get people to respond to it. Did you know about the survey? No, I didn't hear about the survey. I never received that in the mail. So I've spoken to hundreds. I'll say like over 100 people for sure, myself. And I've run into two who wanted to expand and they both owned land next to the boundary. Or they were, one was, one was a developer. And fair enough, they want to expand because that's a business opportunity for them. But I'd say that the vast, vast majority of people that I've spoken to and who responded to the city survey um, are in favor of no expansion. And when certain, you know, individuals try to frame it as it's, oh, it's becoming a divisive issue. <laughs> well, it's divisive against the people of the city and those who stand to profit from expansion. It sounds very familiar <clears throat> from my experience in Burlington previously, where a, a different development issue, but a development issue, uh, I was canvassing um, in a in a municipal campaign, and yeah, I mean, it was like <laughs> there, there was no divide. It was it was as close to unanimous as you ever get in a in in any kind of political debate. Just come back, coming back to what's actually being proposed here, you said it's a massive uh, boundary expansion. I mean, so how much land is is being involved here, um, and um, and I guess the second part of that question would be, 
what would be built on that land and why is that the wrong kind of building that we should be doing right now? Yes, well, what's at stake right now is 3,300 acres of, and I'll put it in quotations, prime agricultural one, two, three soil farmland. And it is because we have mapping specialists on our team who know how to read the ministry maps, and I have shared them widely through social media, as we all have. It is literally prime one, two, and three. And there are seven types of soil classifications. Prime one, two, and three are considered prime because they are the ones that are best um, able to withstand drought and flooding, which is what's coming with climate change. So most important is to save this land. Now, the Hamilton Mountain, really, we can divide it almost in half. Half of it has already been redesignated back in 2015 as airport land, and it's all earmarked for warehouses. So we missed that opportunity to save that land. The other half, which is basically from uh, South Coat Road East all the way to Gulf uh, Club Road over in El Frida, that's 3,300 acres of functioning, um, productive, currently being used as farmland. But a lot of it is owned by speculators who bought the land 10, 15 years ago. And they're leasing it back to farmers and waiting for the, the moment when the boundary expands, when there will be a, a big um, up tick in the value of that land. Uh, so it's 3,300 acres. Um, some groups in the city would like you to think that that's 1% of Hamilton's rural land. But if if they're talking about the Hamilton that includes the census division, then, well, that stretches pretty much to Brantford. That's not what we're calling Hamilton. Hamilton is the built-up area. Uh, there is only a limited amount of white belt lands surrounding Hamilton, that's the sandwiched lands between the urban boundary and the green belt. And those lands are 3,300 acres and they want 84% of it to build housing developments. And what, you know, didn't we just approve an LRT? Are, are we not going to need to move people on roads and corridors uh, so that people can, can have, uh, you know, decent homes close to transit? We know that building homes on farmland uh, will only result in more sprawling car dependent uh, subdivisions that most people can't afford. Yeah. And, and I think, I mean, there's a really important point here to be made. Well, two, two points I'd like to make because I, I hardly ever managed to keep it to one. One is <laughs> I've been listening to the arguments being made by the province and by developers in, in Hamilton's neighboring city, Burlington for the last, uh, 10 years at least, 10, 15 years. And they are the exact opposite of the arguments being made now in Hamilton, which is, well, we, you know, we can't build out, we've got to protect our farmland, therefore we've got to go up. And, um, you know, which is it's all fine. And th those are all perfectly good arguments. And then you come to Hamilton and all of a sudden you've got Steve Clark in the, in the Spectator saying, well, we've got to protect our sensitive neighborhoods, <laughs> which you don't, don't give a damn about neighborhoods in Burlington. <laughs> so it, it, it's a hilarious, I mean, it would be hilarious if it wasn't so tragic <laughs> uh, kind of situation. Um, and, and really that, that, that I mean, actually explain to people what, what, when we talk about white belt, what, what that means um, in, in the context of kind of yes. urban development. Yes, certainly. Well, um, the white belt lands are uh, sandwiched in between the built-up area of Hamilton. You can see the 
the houses and the buildings are. And um, Hamilton also has a considerable amount of green belt surrounding it. But this white belt land is in between the green belt area and the city built up area. So it's farmland, which is currently not designated as anything but uh, white belt. It's farmland that's uh, functioning and productive. And a lot of it has been built, uh, as I mentioned before, bought up um, in advance in anticipation of an urban boundary expansion. A point that you made, Nancy, about the, you know, the, that the LRT is finally going to be built at some point in the future uh, in downtown Hamilton. Um, we saw that, you know, the, the, the ruckus that happened on city council uh, surrounding that decision. And I'm wondering, maybe let's, let's take a bit of a dive into the, the local municipal politics. And then we'll also, I think, touch upon the provincial politics as well. What, what, what's your, your take on city council's movement on this? You know, you know, like you're, you're getting, it sounds like you're getting a lot of opposition or sorry, a lot of support for the not expanding into uh, this white belt space and to kind of keep, keep the boundary where it is. And, you know, what, why, why is this even a debate then? Why, like if the people of, of Hamilton are very much like, no, let's, let's keep it where it is and figure out how to develop what we ha- what we got. Why, why does this, why is this a debate? Yeah. Um, well, this is, this is a slow moving train that's been on the tracks for a number of years now. This isn't just something that uh, they thought up, you know, a few months ago, this has been on the books since the Alfreda growth area was identified. Alfreda is out by Mud Street. So it's been on the books as a possible expansion area for a number of years. And in some senses, it was just expected that this would happen. But then a few things happened, which is COVID, where we realized that, oh, it's possible to work from home. Um, and maybe food security is an issue since toilet paper security became a big issue. And secondly, uh, the climate change uh, emergency. I, we've realized that paving over farmland um, again and again and over and over is maybe not the best uh, way forward. So I think... Um, there are a number, and we're so grateful to them, of city councillors who understand that Hamilton has declared a climate emergency and we need to act on that, and that sprawl will cost taxpayers. It's us that's paying for this. You know, there is a bit of an initial investment by developers um, in uh, some of the early development costs, but those subdivisions will last for decades and decades. And it's us as taxpayers who are on the hook for paying for, for that, which is why Hamilton has a $3.9 billion deficit in infrastructure repair spending. Why should we build more infrastructure when we can't even afford to repair what we've got? So we do have councillors, to back to your question, who are in mm-hmm. favour of, of, of this. And um, maybe the other councillors are uh, thinking a little bit retroactively and maybe need to look maybe um, more forward thinking and um, uh, maybe maybe there's more support um, you know financial support from the development industry with with some of the councillors as well um, okay on, on that note do you know of any councillors that are being backed by the development industry do you, um, do you, do you know anyone by name well, I- Yes, but it's very easy to find out. If you just go to uh, the city of Hamilton's website, uh, there are uh, the tax 
um, reporting documents and uh, everybody has to declare just who is contributing to their development campaign. Um, I can name a few, certainly for uh, Lloyd Ferguson, Councillor Ferguson, um, Councillor Maria uh, Pearson. Uh, those are those are the top two, really. Um, those two are definitely uh, for urban expansion. Um, I, I, there's, there's, a, there's a certain issue that like, I, I'm surprised. Someone, I think you guys have talked have talked about it in your your pieces, but. And this is kind of something about going into the provincial side of the politics equation with Steve Clark's editorial or op-ed, sorry, uh, basically saying, you know, we have to protect <clears throat> Hamilton's existing neighborhood flair. And one of the great things about Hamilton is that it, the downtown has very unique architecture. Like Hamilton traditionally has done a pretty decent job of kind of protecting its architectural heritage. Um, however, those buildings are in need of some massive repair and some infrastructure upgrades. Um, and there are, let's face it, there are a lot of parking lots. There are just a lot of parking lots and there are a lot of wide open spaces in the downtown core that I, I mean, you could park, find a parking lot, you know, on the other side of town to book it to first Ontario plays for a concert. I know I've done it. And I, my question is, why won't we, make, why won't we make that a priority? I mean, you, like we said, we have the LRT coming down, uh, being built. We have prime opportunities to build some really, I, I, I think Hamilton's in a prime location to kind of revamp its entire downtown core to make it something. I'm not sure what, but I mean, there, there's just a lot of empty space there that can be remade into something, a little imagination <laughs> and a little, a little, yeah. a little gumption. You can decide, you know, do you want to be an artsy marketplaces? more livable space, what, whatever. It, the, uh -huh. You literally have a blank canvas to, to do something with. Why isn't that the argument being energized <laughs> by city council? Like to me, like I'd be like, no, like let's, let's work on this. Cause it sounds almost like this. If we keep pushing out the boundary and even if we get it right up to the green belt, it's almost like you're cratering out the downtown. Like no, yes, exactly. Back into the downtown. Exactly. And everybody complains. Oh, nobody comes downtown anymore. Well, it's nothing there. It's just parking lots. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's so interesting because of Hamilton's 15 wards that responded to the city survey, um, the top survey respondents included wards two and three, which are both lower city wards. And and they are clearly saying, yes, in my backyard, Yimby, um, they're not living next to farmland and they want our tax dollars going to, you know, decent, safe, affordable, middle density housing in their wards, which are downtown wards in the, in the core of the city. And this is what we found by talking to people all over the city. And that's why it, it, it unites people from all across the city. Um, Stocking Sprawl is a win-win because it not only saves our precious farmland, but it will get those tax dollars invested in building and completing the communities that already exist downtown. Um, in the core of the city, in the lower city. Because in the 60s, what we found was tens of thousands of people left the lower city and they moved to the mountain. So our size doubled, but our population remained the same. So our infrastructure costs doubled. Now we have a whole bunch of broken infrastructure, as you're saying. Large parts of the core are boarded up, vacant and empty. And it's very telling, I think, that residents of Ward 3 Frankly, uh, 1,116 people out of 1,178, which is 95% of Ward 3, want to 
to stop the urban boundary expansion because they want investment in their own neighborhood. They want safe, affordable housing, decent transit, amenities close by, and they want the exact opposite of what you've just described, which is the hollowing out of the core of the city. So to my mind, this is a no-brainer. We save tax dollars. We save the farmland. Let's build within our city. So, And again, it's exactly, it's exactly the argument that the, the, the province under set, you know, different parties, regardless of who's been at the head of it, has been making since the Places to Grow Act. Um, and it's exactly, I mean, I think the city council, for all their faults, has been really trying to redevelop downtown and bring investment and all those things. So it's crazy when, when we're still, when we're, the change is starting to happen, but there are still so many parking lots downtown that it's crazy. I mean, mm-hmm. someone, one, I can't remember which council it was, was complaining the other day about closing streets on the weekend, saying, you know, why would anybody come? And it's like, well, Hamilton is one of the easiest places to get parked in the province <laughs> because there's so many parking lots. And But that's a bad thing. You know, you don't want land with cars sitting on it. And then, the, you know, I mean, this, this point that um, uh, the sprawl is cheap for developers and expensive for cities um, because, you know, you've got to have far more sewers put in place for single-family homes than you do for a high-rise. Uh, is so important no, for people to grasp. Sewers, roads, um, all that infrastructure, it, it's mm-hmm. terribly expensive and we can't afford to pay for what we've got. So let's not build any more. Let's, let's use that um, investment to, to fix what we have in our existing city. And, um, and prior governments, uh, Ontario governments had much more of a, a densification mandate. And so that could be what you're referring to in Burlington. Uh, but since 2020, things have changed and the densification numbers have been reduced and the timeline has been increased. So that's why um, now we're, we're, we're all running to a much lower densification target. And the other thing that the, um, the Ford government did is they, they've got this market-based lens, which means the market has demanded single-family homes. So we have to build single-family homes. But the truth is, since the 50s and the suburban experiment, all we've been building is single family homes. So of course the market says people want that because that's all they've been able to buy. If we had a mix of middle density, missing middle housing in our city and across all of our neighborhoods, we would have places for the tens of thousands of the baby boomer generation who are about to downsize. Where are they going to go? They don't have any missing middle density housing to move to. All they can move into is a $8,000 a month amica out of town or a another smaller single family home. So a mix of housing within neighborhoods is would be a very good idea. Let, let's let's uh let's keep on that on that note then. Um Minister of Municipal Affairs Steve Clark <clears throat> wrote an in, in Hamilton an infamous op-ed in the Spectator last week. Uh long story short, basically promoting the the so-called virtues of uh, expanding the boundary, you know, saying that you, you meet, we need it for housing uh, to, to house people and, and whatnot, the, the same old arguments. Uh, I have two questions. One, what did you take? What, did, what was your opinion on that, uh, on that opinion piece? And then I'll, uh, I'll fo- have a follow up uh, to that after I hear your answer. <laughs> well, the opinion piece was um, not a surprise because this all originates from the Ford government's changes to the Places to Grow Act. Um, there seems to be an unrelenting 
uh, sprawl agenda from highways to every single municipality in the greater Golden Horseshoe is now having to bring their official plan into confirmation uh, conformity with the um, provincial market-based methodology. So Hamilton is in fact leading the charge in this because we've managed to mobilize so many people and we've got a, a great campaign going here and it was unexpected. So really the uh, the letter from the minister is... Um, it shows that they're getting scared because if the, <laughs> the Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing has to write an op-ed in a, a little um, municipality's uh, local newspaper, then things are getting hot in the kitchen. So we're glad that he showed his hand, honestly. And, um, um, and this is something we can unite against is because the Ford government it doesn't have the right to bully us around. Has has anyone from the Ford government, uh, the minister, minister Clark, or the premier's office themselves reached out to your organization uh, at the grassroots level to say, you know, let's here here's our reasoning why you know we 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 want you to be on board. Let's do this together. Let, let's let's find a compromise. Is has there been any any outreach to you or to at least a, a, an olive branch to say, come on to the table. Let's let's talk about what's uh, what what our plans are. Uh, no, not at all. And in fact, what we find from uh, Minister Clark's letter is that it's pretty much verbatim from what the development industry is talking about. So I think, I think we can safely say that the development industry and the F and the Ford government are walking in tandem, and um, they don't really have um, any need to try to negotiate with us. They. They expected a boundary expansion, not just for Hamilton, but for everywhere in the Greater Golden Horseshoe. And um, they're not very happy that there's been some pushback. So they'll be using the strong arm. Uh, my my thought at this sort of point is in every city in the 905, pretty much, uh, and Toronto as well, if you exclude Toronto from the 905, uh, development is if you want to get something that gets people motivated it's development uh for whatever reason uh, and that can sometimes be for bad reasons like i mean I, I don't like using the nimby word but the nimby stuff or it can be you know for but it gets people passionate and what we have right now is a completely unbalanced system where the province basically holds all the all the power and the municipalities who are in theory meant to control this stuff hold very little, or they can vote how they like, but they're likely to get overridden by the, uh, uh, whatever the tribunal's called this week. I would love to, I don't understand, given how huge this topic is, why the other provincial parties are not at the forefront of this argument too. You know, uh, Andrea Horvath is Hamilton Centre MPP. Why is she not stepping forward and saying, no, we Hamilton. We we will make sure that this doesn't happen if we're elected as the next provincial government. Why is Stephen Del Duca not doing the same? Um, she has, um, in fact. Okay. So yeah, she has. Um, so has uh, Sandy so what uh, Shaw. Has she said. Yeah, um, they have come out unequivocally saying that anything that happens with boundary expansions, if they are um, voted in, then okay. they will be repealing all of that. And she, in fact. Andrea Horvath wrote a letter to Hamilton uh, City Council right after Steve Clark 
did his thing. And, uh-huh. and that letter was not included in the agenda for that, um, for that meeting. So we still haven't seen publicly that letter, although it's being so circulated on social media. So both the Greens okay. and the NDPs have come out very strongly against what uh, what's going on right now, and very and they have um, been they've met with us early on. We've had many meetings with um, MPP Sandy Shaw. I've uh, had a meeting with uh, Andrea Horbath, and uh, they've they've been very literally helpful on both on the ground and with whatever they can offer us uh, through online means. Are they suggesting any kind of legislative changes in terms of the overall powers of of the province um, with regard to municipalities, like actually letting municipalities be in control of their own destinies? Because that that's another thing that I would really um, like to see well, I mean, kind of on the agenda for next year. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, generally municipalities have been in charge of their own destinies, and and we can vote for no boundary expansion. But what would possibly happen is an MZO would then show up a minister's zoning order. So those minister zoning orders have always been an option of the province to use. But as we know, the Ford government has used them exponentially more than they have ever been used in the past. So if we were just to return back to our regular way of doing things and not have MZOs flying around, then I think um, everybody would agree that it's a pretty acceptable way to do business. There's a thought that popped in my head as we were talking here, and there seems to be, <clears throat> excuse me, there seems to be a, a discrepancy between how the the Ford government applies the rules in the 905. And I, by that, I mean, your organization uh, is trying to stop this expansion. Um, however, we don't seem to have this argument being made here in Burlington or really in Halton, where there's a predominantly conservative uh, elected members, Milton, Oakville, uh, Oakville, North Burlington, and uh, and and uh, uh, Burlington are all held by PC members. Yet, I, I mean, we don't have this fight over let's expand the boundary, let's expand uh, north, let's expand into the green belt. That that doesn't really I, seem to be happening. We've got this it's happening in Milton over, actually, but but. Well, okay. But my, I guess I'm thinking more locally here in Burlington, like we we're all about how do we argue over intensification? How, how do we build internally and, and put buildings here in the city? And there's talk of changing uh, the urban, uh, 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 the, the targeted growth centers uh, from the downtown to the ghost stations and all that. And that, you know, that's, that's all well and good. Yet in Hamilton, we don't have that argument being made for the downtown. You know, there's not there's no urgency. Let's build up around, you know, the proposed LRT line. Let's build up around uh, the existing GO station. You know, and that that kind of infrastructure. That argument's not being made. It's we need to build out. What what what's your take on that kind of discrepancy? That you know, what what you want what you want to see happen in Hamilton is what's technically the argument being made here in Burlington. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And well, they're not they're not they're not willing to entertain your your notion yeah. here here in Hamilton, right? Yeah, there's a lot to talk about there. Um, the Stops Roll movement has actually spread from Niagara. It includes Stops Roll Halton, Stops Roll Peel. There's Stops Roll generally Ontario. There's there are groups all through the Greater Golden Horseshoe, 
and as you mentioned, Roland Milton is is especially um, uh, bad for this. There are thousands and thousands, much more than Hamilton, to be honest, of acres of farmland at risk. Um, now, people don't. Sometimes people they push back against the tall towers, um, but what we're really hoping for, and what we want for Hamilton is not tall towers, not a sea of single family homes, but missing middle density. Everything from three to five stories to be built all through our neighborhoods. And admittedly, that's harder for the development industry to do because it costs more. It's much more affordable to pave over a green field and build houses than it is to um, do infill development. But that's what we're asking for. Um, but there are, in fact, groups all across the greater world of Horseshoe who are who are fighting against um, urban plan uh, amendments and and sprawl plans. But what and, we're and the difference in Burlington is sorry. I think Burlington. It happened a little sooner, I think. I think. It, yeah, I mean, it Burlington happened. doesn't have any white field. Basically, I mean, it does have yeah, one yeah. field, literally one field that is white, and it's being built <laughs> on. So, <laughs> um, so it, well, that's up the is the only way, Mississauga. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, up it's the only way, but I mean, but the missing middle. I mean, you're singing so much from my song sheet when you talk about that because we have this, yeah. I think, crazy situation in Ontario where you have very small areas which are of urban growth centres where uh, basically the, the municipalities have no control over urban growth centres. It's whatever the developers ask for, they're going to basically get because they'll end up at what was the LPAT. Yes, uh, and then you have. Greenfield sites or, or whitefield sites, um, and the vast areas of, of of single family homes are untouchable because the cities do still control those, and the people who live on those streets really don't. You know, they tend to get very defensive about um, uh, having condos, put, uh, not condos, but having apartments built. But that's exactly where we need it. I mean, it's where we need the the granny flats, and we need the the. Right. Yeah, yeah, like you say, the three to five stories. I've just moved to a three-story apartment, and it's it's great. I really like it. A, it's an already nice neighborhood. B, and but it was built in the nineteen twenties, you know, because we haven't been building that kind of stuff for decades and decades. It's illegal uh, to build a lot of that now. Yeah, we can't even build a. It, you have to jump through hoops to get a, a duplex built, whereas Calgary works. Yeah, from. oh, and absolutely. Um, no, you can't build duplexes they, because yeah. It's, yeah, that's it, not it, part of the zoning laws. And and Calgary discovered uh, not that long ago that it's it costs every resident of that city over $1,000 to sprawl. It, that's what the tax increase would be. So they put it out to the people and surprisingly, they said, oh, let's stop sprawling. So they changed their zoning laws. This is what we need in Hamilton. We need inclusionary yeah. zoning that allows affordable homes to be built, affordable housing and missing middle housing. And now drive through any Calgary neighborhood, you'll see tiny little infill stuff all over the place. Single family homes have been redu- er, replaced with uh, duplexes, semis, triplexes, interesting and innovative things that fit very well in a neighborhood and certainly do not detract from the neighborhood mm-hmm. streetscape. I have a massive monster home across the street from me with three humans living in it. It could oh, easily yeah, that's be a duplex. The hilarious thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why are we yeah, not yeah. to build a monster homes but we uh, that can't have two front doors <laughs> i have a, a one final question uh, uh for you nancy and 
uh, we t- you touched upon again uh, the the kind of the growing movement of stop sprawl in in the nine hundred five. You know, you mentioned Peel, Milton, Niagara, obviously Hamilton. Um, are you networking with these groups to to kind of get a, a streamlined message to the province uh, and and to to kind of uh, help each other out? Because it, 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 it sounds like you all have the same goal, and that is to reshape the existing uh land that each municipality is on to more more density more more uh uh inclusionary development mm-hmm. and to stop ex- for, for further expansion into farmland and i'm just wondering you know what, what it, are, are you guys networking or is this a bit are you like a small part of a larger organization and i'm talking and i'm rambling now so nancy please answer <laughs> we <laughs> excuse me no well that. we <laughs> We are networking and it's all behind the scenes stuff. And we've all agreed to call ourselves stop sprawl something somewhere. And that's because that's what we came up with. Um, Just yesterday, uh, a few of us got together with some folks from Caledon to, you know, network with something that was happening up there. So yes, we are absolutely coordinating. We're in touch all the time through social media and emails and sharing information um, it just happens to be Hamilton is a little further along. And, and I'll just take this moment to say that, um, no, I don't know if you folks know this, but November 9th has been determined as the date which uh, City Council will be asked by staff to vote on expansion or not. We were expecting it to be in the new year because we expected that all the staff reports, of which there are many, which are going to be produced at that GIC meeting on November 9th, We'll have time to be debated, discussed. There will be a lot of delegates. All of that should be happening on that day. Um, and we we are asking for time for all of that to unfold and for the vote to be happening later. But no, they're so far sticking to their guns and the vote will happen at some point that day, probably closer to midnight. <clears throat> so what we're looking for now here in Hamilton is a deluge of letters to council and we need delegators to either pre-record your uh, delegation and send it uh, as a Zoom recording or um, or to sign up to delegate live at City Hall, which uh, a few of us have done. Last time we had a call out for this was March 29th when the first boundary expansion question came and we had 50 delegators and 200 letters. So we're hoping to double all of that because this is the time when City Council needs to hear from the citizens, um, hearing from us rather than um, other groups in the city who have a different agenda. And you well, can do that through our to... website, stopsprawlhamonssho.ca. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we'll I put see the um, link into the show notes. Joe, I just want to say one final thing. And, and that anybody sure, listening sure. thinking of sense, debating whether to send a letter or delegate in person, delegate in person, because um, councillors listen far more to delegations than they do to letters it's just a simple fact of life uh, you can skip through letters a delegation you have to listen to um, but uh, both are useful but if you if you have the courage and the gumption to delegate and it takes a bit of gumption um, do it because um, you get the attention and no mistake anyway sorry joel go ahead absolutely well, I was just going to say we're we're coming up on the forty minute mark of this uh, this chat, and as we often say on this podcast, we could probably go on for hours uh, talking about this, but we do have to wrap it up because uh, our listeners probably have to get on with their day. So, Nancy, uh, Nancy Hurts from Stop Sprawl Ham Aunt, 
Uh, thank you very much for coming on today and, and sharing your, your thoughts and your, your group's uh, opinions with us. Uh, and this is probably a story that's not going to be going away anytime soon. So we'll try and stay on top of it and follow up with you at some point in the future. Thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure to meet you. That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. Did, Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast, NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network.